This is the Vegan Champion Podcast. Welcome or welcome back. My name is Jason Fonger. I'm your host today. I am going to be joined with the amazing, the legendary Claire Mann, the vegan psychologist. Claire is something else. You guys are going to enjoy this one. It really is a treat of a conversation. I always enjoy hearing what this woman has to say. She is just so insightful. She's wise. She is um, well-spoken. She's articulate. And I am really excited to bring you guys this conversation. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. I think it's going to bring you a lot of value. We touch on a lot of uh, very relevant topics to what's happening in the world today with the whole COVID-19 situation and Um, Yeah, it's just all around a good conversation. There are a lot of links in the show notes for this one. Claire has shared a lot of resources with us, and I definitely encourage you to check out her website, which is veganpsychologist.com. And she has tons of resources there, many of which are free resources. They're super high quality, top-notch information, very well done. So you cannot go wrong by checking out her website there. She's also got a new book out called Myths of Choice, Why People Won't Change, and What You Can Do About It. So check out lifemyths.com to check out more about that book. But without without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Here is the vegan psychologist, Claire Mann. It's so good to see you, Claire. I'm really happy that we're able to have a conversation right now. In uh, some interesting times. You can say that again, hey, for at all levels. It's almost standing at a crossroads, I think, of humanity of going down a good path or going down a challenging path. (laughs) (laughs) I had a a family reunion of sorts via like digital hangout with my, yeah, with family that, you know, we haven't been together that all, all those extended family in like over a decade. So wow, there's interesting things coming out of it all. That's for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and I know for me, I've definitely, you know, refocused and doubled down on what's important and made some positive changes, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I, I, I feel it's, it's a tricky time. And, you know, I saw your video that you made, I think you've actually, I think you made a few videos, but I saw one of your videos that was very, you know, sort of about this, this whole moment that we're in and, and conversations that people are having. And you really got me thinking about, um, this idea of polarization and yeah. and how there's there's almost no room for discussion between yeah. these two mm-hmm. could could you could you go into that a little bit i mean i'd love to hear you expand on that and just for people sure. who, who may be listening and, and how yeah of course i can know what i'm talking about exactly we haven't have we started yet i yeah, i started recording right away i figured i gotta want to get every moment of your oh. uh, <laughs> sure sure we're not live are we if no we we're not we're not no we're not live we're not live no no yeah okay so all right well we'll we'll just go with the flow then absolutely yeah it's, happy, um, yeah well I, I did i've made a, a number of videos and and even i am surprised at the level of polarization regarding those mm-hmm. um where all discussion any any argument counter to the fact that we have this deadly virus going on um that we're all going to die that we should listen to sorry the fly person has just joined us 
<laughs> should listen to the health departments who have been lying to us for years and telling 99% of the population to eat a diet that's killing them. Suddenly everybody believes them, including a lot of vegans. Mm -hmm. But what he's actually doing is stopping um, real discussion. There's this fear and reductionism that goes on for people to want to decide very quickly what's going mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, you're seeing it yourself, Jason. This is what happens when people are in fear, fear mm -hmm. of uncertainty and fear of death. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think for a lot of people, it's the first time they are facing the, their own finitude is actually, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Well, yes, you are going to die. And so am I. We don't want to do it prematurely, of course. And suddenly this outside oppressor is going to, to kill us. In fact, even Donald Trump in one of his press, release, uh, press conferences recently said, no death is acceptable. Mm. So even we can't even die of old age these days. It's mm. perfectly unnatural. It happens to every living being that comes on the earth, but we're going to be invincible and not let it happen. So I think we're avoiding our the reality of our finitude. You have, I, I find you extremely, just hearing you speak right now and, and hearing you in your video and, and all the things that you're you know, posting on Facebook, I follow you, I really, uh, I really enjoy the sort of angles that you're, that you're throwing out there. And um, it's just, you know, I, I worry that right now people are almost just not allowed to have certain conversations because yeah. to almost have the conversation and to ask the question, it, it's like it goes against the sort of you know, status quo and like how everybody should be dealing with it. And, you know, and I, and I, and it's not to say that we want to necessarily jump down the rabbit hole of every single conspiracy theory and believe every single one of those, because that's the other side of it too, right? You have this, these two sides where it's like, people seem to be either, this is the way things are standard story or everything is don't believe anything. Don't, you know, like you can't. So but I, I appreciate your perspective in, in sort of, you know, asking some important questions and, and you know, drawing attention to some important issues. Um, but let's backtrack a little bit. I want to introduce you for people who maybe aren't familiar with you, but if, in case you are not familiar with the legendary Claire Mann, could you just maybe <laughs> say a few words about yourself just so that people know, have a bit of context? Yeah. I've never been called legendary. It just means I'm probably very old. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think your, your contribution, what, what you yeah. continue to contribute and what you have contributed to the vegan movement and in terms of providing resources for vegans and just, yes, a lot of interesting you know, ideas that, that I think uh, you know, have affected me and I think have affected the way that a lot of vegans think. So that's why I say legendary. And I think that's in a positive way for sure. I think you've helped a lot of people um, you know, I mean, I mean your, your book, Vistopia, this whole idea around, you know, the difficulties that come being a vegan in a non-vegan world, the way that you think and, and talk about that, I, I think that that is, you've done a lot of service for a lot of people. So mm -hmm. that's why I say legendary. But yes, so you wrote this book, Vistopia, you've done a whole bunch of other stuff. What, what should people know about you? What should people know about me? Um, mm -hmm. That I'm an animal rights campaigner. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> That's my um, biggest, most humbling um, mission in life at this stage in my life, because I've always wanted to, to, I had a father and a mother who questioned, you know, why are we really here? You know, really is it, as my father used to say, three score year in 10, which probably was said in the Bible, and that's it. You know, what are we here for? So I always felt that whatever job we're doing, whether we're sweeping the streets or we're on the world stage, we, by example, can show people how to live because nobody has a monopoly on the truth here. Hmm. You know, we don't really know why we're here. 
you know, is it karma? Is there an afterlife? Is there before life? And so everyone struggles to try to find what's going on. And there's no shortage of people trying to tell us what is the truth, of course. But ultimately, we are in our aloneness to say, well, what is this really all about? And I will st start with a feeling I have that I, is directing my life in many ways, which is an intuitive feeling of right and wrong in many ways. And people may have heard a story before, but when I was eight years old, um, of a vintage where children played in the park and it was absolutely okay, and perhaps your brother looked after you and picked you up at some time to you know, make sure you went home for lunch or something. Um, but I was at a park called the Blockhouse Park in the south of England. And for some reason I was on my own, perhaps oh. separated from friends. And I heard this sort of marauding group of male voices um, behind like a shelter, which was an old, used to be, it was called the Blockhouse, and it had a whole old moat actually, which had all dried out and children used to play there. It was great. And there was this sort of crowd behind. And then I heard a sound I will never forget. And it was a sound of an animal in pain. And I can't remember, perhaps it's a romantic story, but I remember running towards it because someone needed my help, an animal needed my help. It's a big animal lover. And I climbed up the steps, so these concrete steps, and had to turn back and look into the shelter. And there was a load of lads there, sort of um, teenagers, yelling and screaming and sort of encouraging someone. And someone had taken this poor dog and viciously twisted their leg and forced it back down through the slats in the, in the, the seat. Oh. And so what I did was to immediately push through these boys, release the animal, because it was, it was trying to release itself. But the more it did what it wanted to do, it was actually going to dislocate its hip. Right. It needed to do the opposite direction. And the dog ran away. But then something happened. I remember turning around, looking up at these boys and screaming, how dare you? Don't you ever do it again? Hmm. Now, that feeling that has, has followed me throughout my life. Now, luckily, I had parents that didn't. Um, they put aside their fears for their eight-year-old child with a crowd of marauding boys, testosterone-filled lads. Um, and they were, put that aside and they said, my dad said, you must always do what is right. Now, that similar feeling has followed me. And I realize it's, it's dystopia, really. Mm. And when I first found out at 17 what happened in a slaughterhouse and I dared to look, I immediately gave up meat because this feeling comes from within me. And then when that comes up, I respond to that because it's really about justice. It's about doing the right thing. So I guess that's followed me throughout my life, whatever, when I'm, whether I'm working with people or animals or planet or, um, so that sort of sets the bit of the context, I guess. I like that. Um, but I've been a psychologist for 30 years. Um, was in, fascinating with what made people tick. I'm still asking the question, what makes people tick? They still amaze me, which is great, but also how stuck people can be as well and give away their power to social and, and cultural myths and unquestioned assumptions of this is what we must do. And um, so, yeah, as a psychologist, I was actually an organizational psychologist originally and worked in corporate life um, until I found out what was really going on and the lengths people will go to for a buck. Um, but there was no way I was going to sell my values. So I came out of that and, and moved more into sort of therapeutic and clinical work. Um, and then I call myself a vegan psychologist in the last 10 years, largely because people sought me out and said, well, how can I see someone who's not vegan? Mm. You know, and um, not that that makes me any special. There's a lot of very skilled therapists, but if they don't 
if they really got what was going on, they'd have to be vegan, of course. They would have to be, or else they're a psychopath. Uh, mm. <laughs> so they obviously don't. And I think it's one of those things, when you see a psychologist or a counselor or therapist, they don't have to have had the experiences you've had. They have to have had sufficient life experiences. But when it comes to veganism or non-veganism, you either are part of the solution or part of the problem. You can't be neutral on this. Unless you take active steps, as you know, you will contribute to the cruelty. So, whereas if you disagree rightly with child abuse or with violence or um, sexism, it doesn't interfere with the rest of your life. You don't practice those principles, but we have to eat. And unless you make active steps, you're gonna be contributing to the cruelty or not. Mm. That's so interesting. The the whole the whole path that you've come down and the fact that you're now in the position where you are today where you're helping so many people and i think there's there's a real need for your perspective like the perspective of a vegan psychologist and you know you're obviously not shy about taking to social media and putting your opinion out there and i think that is something that yeah it goes a long way definitely goes a long way and uh, i'm sure that the people that you work with on a more you know one to one basis that you know that's even more useful and i mean you know you're able to be contextual to each person right so that uh yeah you can really help help people see you know the the sort of broader concepts that you talk about in some of your videos and some of your content and just sort of break that down you know for for individuals so um you you do do you know one-on-one counseling one-on-one sessions you're you're still doing that and you know if people want are interested in that are you are you doing that at a a distance now if people are looking for you know like one-on-one coaching and, or, 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 you know, therapy, if, if people wanted to, you know, reach out to you for that, where, how can they do that? Sure. Absolutely. I do for a couple of days a week and um, largely because the demand for a vegan psychologist is very, very high. And there are a lot of vegan psychologists out there, but they won't call themselves vegan. Mm. And I encourage people to get out there and speak. You know, if you have an interest in, um, in social equality in other areas, gay and lesbian or Christian or something like that, you call yourself a Christian counselor or, or a, you know, working with drug addiction. You give away your values all the time just mm. by choosing who you work. It makes sense so to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's also what you've devoted your life to in terms of expertise and, and gathering information and solutions. Because and then, then you can find the relatable people, right? You, you can find yeah. the best possible people. Absolutely. You can help the, the most, you can, you can, relate the most with them right and yeah absolutely yeah. so i do see people but the demand is so great that i'm actually just about to release a a, a suite of courses and um an online interactive Ooh. overcoming dystopia course and also one on um, steps to better relationships looking at individual intimate relationships groups and uh, sorry work and family so that'll be coming out imminently And um, yes, I do see people mostly around the world um, um, through a confidential platform called Blue Jeans. And um, yeah, people can get hold of me by veganpsychologist.com. And uh, yes. But you know, I will say something, um, Jason, is in this, I've encouraged psychologists to come out of the woodwork and actually call themselves that. And they're afraid, well, what about my non vegan clients? I do have non vegan clients. I see amazed they don't Google me. They get recommended or they find me in the past. I've spoken somewhere. Um, but even when they do find that out, some of them don't mind. And then, of course, I'm able to tease in, um, rightly so, usually through health and, you know, a little segue to waking them up to um, everything that contributes to their well-being or their conscience or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I do have some success stories there of people really looking a little That's further good. and watching other videos and going, oh my gosh, this isn't about health, Claire, it's about ethics. I said, no, that's just the hidden secret that your health will exponentially improve on a whole food plant-based diet. Um, but Jason, <laughs> yeah. I have been inundated and I say inundated and yes, um, people contacting me offline saying, um, I am so pleased you're speaking out as you are, that you're, you've got the guts to do it. Um, but I don't want to go online and say anything in response because I can't bear the um, attacks from other people. And, and I encourage people to stand up because, you know, it's not about who's right and who's wrong here, but freedom of speech and freedom of thought is absolutely essential. We cannot help animals get out of conditions that we can't even imagine. Our incarceration is nothing compared to theirs. I'll, We're doing it luxury. <laughs> I, want, I, want to, I want to hang out on this, this point right here for, for a minute because I think that coming back to what you said before um, about you said something to the extent that like, you know, if, if people don't really understand what's going on, right. That like, that's sort of the reason that people just don't understand. People haven't ha like gone in depth to really grasp the reality of what's, what's happening to animals. Yeah. And if they had, if they did have sufficient understanding, then like you're, you're either, you're basically either a psychopath or you are you know, you're going to start moving towards wanting to be vegan. Like you're, you're, it's just, it's just that feeling as you spoke to, you know, the experience you had when you were young, that's that feeling of right and wrong. I, I think the more you expose the reality, you're just inevitably moving that, you know, th that feeling. It, it's not a good feeling. Nobody gets a good feeling <laughs> from watching slaughterhouse footage. Right. That's right. So, yeah, do you know, you're absolutely right. It's, um, and I think, let's just back up a tiny bit, is um, when people really know and they really grasp what's going on, they're caught in the grip of, I either contribute it or I don't. In theory, yeah, you must be a psychopath if you really get and you say that's okay. And then the majority of people don't think it's okay. They refuse to see it, as you know, or they will elect to go along with what's known as psychic defenses. Is And I've sort of made this a little bit more accessible to people through the notion of myths, unquestioned assumptions, the shoulds, the oughts and the musts. So when someone, let's say, you know, you're, you're out there outreaching on the street and someone catches an image of, and they stop to see a video and they say, oh, this can't be happening in our country. Um, oh, this must be just some bad people. This is a load of bad apples. This doesn't normally happen. If it happens anywhere, it's bad enough. But we know that what we're showing you is the tip of the iceberg. It's um, when we show them earthlings or dominion or whatever right. is the reality of, and, but people then elect to do it. Now, are they psychopaths? If they look at it and say, I don't really care, or I want to actively involve in it. Yes, they probably would be, but majority of people don't. And I, I remember a woman in outreach once on the street and she said, Oh my gosh, this is awful. This is terrible. And I don't want to, how can I can, you know, do something. And, and then we looked at the, the natural solution, of course, is to firstly stop financing the industry and stop consuming animals. And then she started to change and try to resist. Now, it would have been very easy to assume that she didn't care. Or it was nothing more inconsequential than her taste buds. And I kept drilling down. I said, look, what's the bottom line here? You, you obviously feel this is wrong. I can see it. Your tears in your eyes. And the solution is very simple. And yet you're resisting it. And she said, my marriage is on the rocks. My mother-in-law doesn't like me. I come from an Italian family. I'm already mm. criticized. Mm -hmm. I honestly don't know how I'm going to go back and tell people that suddenly I'm vegan. 
Mm -hmm. That for her, now is she a psychopath? No, but she needs to, to assimilate that information. She's only been standing there for 10 minutes and finding out. And it's very easy to judge. So I think it's very, people, the myths, the unquestioned assumptions is, well, if everyone else is doing it, it must be okay. Or we were always brought up with meat and two veg. What's the problem? If the, it would never happen if the government, the government would never allow it. It's all these social assumptions mm -hmm. and cultural assumptions that keep people locked because if they break them, they have to realize as we're realizing with the current crisis mm. is the world is very uncertain. Is that we, these aren't fixed, they're social constructs that then become norms. And many of them don't work for us. They certainly don't work for the animals. Um, and whenever we see pushback socially by, you know, I remember when I was a youngster, if people wanted to live out of wedlock, it was a dreadful thing. And often parents didn't go to their weddings. Now we think, yeah. what are they talking about? That was a pushback. But at the time, that was a social and cultural assumption that you weren't committed or you were living in sin or some other ridiculous notion that we laugh at. And so, but the same thing happens with, with animal, what we eat and put in our mouths. I'm, I'm imagining sort of this spectrum of somebody who is um, learning about what is really happening. And, you know, on the one end, you have somebody who's, really understands everything. They're vegan. They're, you know, in line. They, they, they may not know absolutely everything, but they, they grasp sort of enough of the picture that, you know, they, they want to be, they know they want to be vegan. And then on the other hand, we have people who are just totally caught up in, you know, believing in these myths as you sort of, you know, we're talking about, uh, if we want to call them myths or they, they have, they have certain circumstances in their, in their lives that, would make it very difficult for them if they were to go vegan, you know, do they, are they worried about conflict with their family or with their job or, you know, whatever it may be that is preventing them from being sort of ready to see the entirety. And that's what, that's when I see, I mean, when, when we're out there doing activism on the streets and, you know, say you're standing in, in the cube of truth and you're, you're watching people walk by, I see that when people look at the footage and you can tell, like, they just start to get into it and then they sort of realize what it is and that they're not ready. Like, they're just like, I, I can't deal. I just cannot deal with that. And then they're, they're off, you know? And, but then the people who are ready or ready, I mean, how do you, I mean, this is, this is something I'd really love to ask you, Claire, is why, why aren't people vegan? Why don't people go vegan? Can we like, can we summarize that somehow? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's still a bit of a mystery to me because as soon as you see something or an injustice, to me, they should see a part of that footage and they should be vegan immediately. There's no question. Yeah, they should be, shouldn't they? Because the horror of what's going on here is, um, in fact, I just saw something on social media this morning, a meat works closing down. I think there were two dead meat workers and six infected with COVID ID. So they closed down the slaughterhouse. Um, hello, what about the millions of sentient creatures that died at the hands of that industry? It just even in that meat works. What about the slaughterhouse workers who probably minimum, well, they are minimum wage people, some are psychopaths, but some are actually trying to feed their family and are traumatized and brutalized having to go and do those jobs. What about that? You know, so, you know, it's, we've got a sort of moral, um, sort of, some writers have called it a moral schizophrenia and that's not in any way to to undermine anyone's suffering in any way from any labeled 
you know, right. life conditions. Right, but, but it paints it is the picture. This, it's bizarre that people won't change. It does, absolutely. So, you know, in many ways, this is why I love the Cuba truth. And I've written, there's an article actually on the vegan psychologist about this. Why, does, why do the masks work? I'm a great advocate of the masks. See, when we're talking to someone in the street of, if we were just showing slaughterhouse footage and showing them this is, and then they know that we are holding up the footage on a Saturday afternoon in our free time. We, they know we have a position on it. So they not only have to feel something in relation to the footage, they then have to deal with someone they know has got a position on it and they're going to have no excuse to not do what they, the solution's going to be offered. The lovely, you know, then they actually, so in other words, you've got this interpersonal dynamics going on between people. Even worse in our family, because you've got a whole history of raised eyebrows and tiny little facial expressions that bring back myriads of memories and family fallouts and arguments over the over thanksgiving or something mm -hmm. but they don't unconscious all this is of course is but when they're standing in a cube of truth with someone with a mask on it gives us a bit of an insight as to why people don't come vegan full stop they are forced to see the footage and even if only momentarily forced to feel their emotions in relation to it they cannot shoot mm -hmm. the messenger or subtly do something to stop having to deal with the shame and the guilt actually in a moment when someone says, well, what do you think about it? Okay, mm -hmm. we give them a few moments to look and then someone else talks to them. They're not the person who's shown them the footage. Mm -hmm. He's absolutely inspired the, the model. But when we're talking to other people, they're, you know, these psychic defenses, um, because when people work through dystopia, you know, the anguish of being a vegan, the trance-like collusion with stuff we didn't even know, and we're dealing with this trance-like collusion at the moment with lots of other things, and we'll come back to that. But then this, well, what else don't I know? There's your conspiracy theorist. Well, actually, it's heck of a lot we don't know. We never have the full picture anyway. Is people said, well, I've kind of, I can process some of these emotions. It's painful living in a non-vegan world, but I can, I can let that pass through my body's powerful strategies we can teach people and become active. That's the best way to deal with restopia is get out there and do something. Mm -hmm. Is But they still won't change. I can't believe it. And that's why I wrote Myths of Choice, why people won't change and what we can do about it. And to actually us examine ourselves is because we have resistance. Seeing what's going on at the moment and the resistance to ideas gives us absolute insight as to why people won't become vegan. We are doing it in relation to any other ideas at the moment. We, we cannot, if you think about it, people go, you're a conspiracy theorist because you brought something up. You know, I'm absolutely blown away with some of the videos that I've put up there and people attack the person, attack me for being, saying my career will be over, as if that's something I think yeah. about, my, my reputation and career when we're speaking the truth. If I worried about that, I wouldn't be talking about veganism. Lost a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. not all yeah. my non-vegan friends is is it's not about us it's about something much bigger here but the resistance is they start to blame the person i've used in the example for instance or um yeah that gives us insight because in that moment they have to live with the uncertainty of not knowing is oh my gosh what is the truth what if it's not the whole picture perhaps you know are we going down the route of a totalitarian state I think we're at the crossroads and we're going one way or the other. Um, I'm pretty positive that I try to, you know, but we've got to wake up pretty quickly. So, but when it comes to veganism, people of way we were all brought up, everything we've stood for, um, our parents told us the right thing, sitting around the family dinner table. And then suddenly we are horrified at what's been going on. 
but we suddenly have to question our parents. Why didn't they tell us? Why didn't they ask questions? What else don't I know? And for some people, it's so great, that feeling of existential uncertainty, which we're seeing at the moment, oh my gosh, we're all going to die. Yep, we're all going to die. We always were going to die. We just think we're going to get this, which very few people, by the way, have died of, and most of them in their 80s and 90s, is, is actually, therefore, it's the resistance to that. They want, we want the certainty. No, no, it can't be true. Let's go back to our normal lives, even if they weren't working for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a very, it's a very difficult thing, I think, for people to, to think in such large numbers. I mean, when I say large numbers, I mean, you know, any, we're talking thousands and thousands of people who generally, like, at, at this point, you know, I think a lot of people know maybe of somebody who may have, you know, tested positive for, you know, COVID or whatever, like, there is a little bit of personal connection. But for the most part, it's still, at least at this point, you know, we're trying to conceive of, like, these numbers that, like, they start by, you know, there's one person infected in this area, and then there's 10. And then it, you know, we, we're, there's all these analyses happening of, you know, how, you know, exactly what's, what's happening to the curve and like, what's, what's effective and what's not effective. There's all these conversations happening and it's, it's very, I think, difficult for people to, you know, comprehend, you know, just how big of a threat is this? Cause you know, if you, if you compare the numbers to say, you know, heart disease or, or cancer or, you know, and, and what's the effect happening on the roads? Like now people are getting or at least around where I live, people are getting, you know, re rebates on their insurance policies because they're not driving. So there's not, you know, there's less deaths happening on the roads and like, you know, yep. so there's all these, <laughs> there's all these conversations that I think for me, for me make it kind of difficult to, uh, you know, I mean, it's like, what do you do? Like, what do you do? Like, I do not have, like how, how, how anybody can go out there and, and I say on, you know, on social media or, you know, in conversations or whatever, however, however anybody can put up this front that like, this is the easy solution. I, like I yeah. kind of envy that because it's, to me, it's extremely complicated. And, yeah. and for me, that's the value of having some of these, you know, discussions around some of the topics yeah. that, that you're bringing up. And then people yeah. give you a hard time for bringing up these topics because maybe they can't have just a, a set, you know, position and argue yeah. so easily mm -hmm. because it's very difficult to yeah. like, you know, get into all the details of, of everything. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, do you, do you have any any ideas on perhaps you know how can we start having some of these conversations, these controversial conversations? Sure. Like, what's a way that we can sort of, um, you know, see see through all of this mayhem happening right now? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I encourage people to do research. People don't know what research is. They think it's social media or mainstream. I mean, you just said something a moment ago, and this is very powerful language in the media is these everyone knows someone who's been infected infection means that a virus has entered your body our bodies are full of viruses now let me repeat that our bodies are full of viruses you know a virus is something that enters the cell and changes the dna it's happening all the time guess what I mean, a robust immune system is there fighting it off all the time i think there probably is and it is a covid19 however the word infection doesn't mean you're going to get ill. It means something's entered your body. I can be in front of someone with a common cold and be infected. Doesn't mean I'm going to get ill. My body goes, hey, I'm going to do my normal job, which is my immune system. I'll just fight that off. Okay. If we're run down or if we are, 
eating an animal-based diet. Well, gosh, Claire's now going to talk about health. You know, how dare she? She's not a doctor. As soon as we don't like the message, people, you know, immediately shoot the messenger. Well, I'm someone who's been eating for a long time and I take great advice from people like Dr. Michael Clapper, Dr. Michael Greger, um, Neil Barnard, you know, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, who've shared the stage with some of these people, is, you know, we don't have to have a PhD in nutrition to be able to talk about it, but we can refer to robust studies and there's no shortage of evidence out there that whole food plant-based diet is the way to go. We know this. Is where that's what our immune system is there to do so when we hear the word infection it's oh my gosh everyone's going to die when we actually look at the original person who came up with the test now i'm don't quote me on this because i'm i haven't got it in front of me i think it was actually 1984 which is a little bit concerning because the book <laughs> by george orwell was 1984 <laughs> of course but he's whoever came up with the test and please yes you can google it but look at some robust things he said this must not be used for diagnostic purposes because the number of false positives is so high and from memory and I'm, again i haven't got it in front of me it was something like 80 wow. percent so if somebody just gives somebody a swab test and they go oh my gosh they've got a covid and there's lots of coronaviruses by the way they're in our bodies yeah the flu is a coronavirus is they will test positive what has happened, in fact, on a, um, a press conference with um, um, the President of the United States recently, the lady who was in charge of the um, task force stood up and she was constantly asked by the media, is, so how are you labeling people having coronavirus, COVID-19? And she said, to be on the safe side, if someone comes in and they test positive, we put them down as a coronavirus death. So somebody can go in, have a heart attack, test for coronavirus, oh my God, they're added to the statistics. This was actually quoted in the, the White House. That's why, you know, and I don't want to get too much into American politics, but again, if people don't like Trump, which the media don't like him, and I'm not saying where I stand on any of this, but they already criticize everything he said, is she said that on the thing. And, and that's why he's saying, well, look, we're going to be opening up America as well. We're very cautiously and we've done our homework. Is We've got to realize that people are not dying of this. They're actually, if they have a coronavirus of that type in their body, they are putting it down to it. There's also politics here. Is if somebody um, tests as positive on that with a swab test, there's a, a financial payment that goes to the hospital for putting them down as that. If they use the ventilator, I think they each person on each person's record, the hospital receives 39,000 American dollars for putting them down as using a ventilator for this. There is a, I'm not saying they're being unethical, but if someone's just died, what are you gonna do? Put it down as coronavirus and get 39,000 or say, no, they actually died of this. Mm. I'm just putting it out there, okay? I'm not here to make it- It's a possibility. It's a possibility. And also that you'd say, well, gosh, we need the money for the hospital to deal with all these surgeries we're gonna have after this event. Not good, bad people, but, you know, erring on the side of caution. The uh, Italian health minister has come out and said we were overcautious in our statistics. And it is probably the deaths we've talked about and the infections is probably only 12% of actually what we quoted. But suddenly the world says, oh, my gosh, they're in lockdown and, and probably need to be. They've also got a negative birth rate. So they've got a high aging population. Now, we're not here necessarily to talk about politics, but I think the vegan as vegans, we need to open our eyes and say to people, 
it's not about whether you agree with something that's come out of Claire's mouth or Jason's mouth at the moment, because we're all asking questions. We never have the whole situation. But what I do know is we cannot rely on mainstream media, which is owned by six major corporations, to tell us the truth. Mm -hmm. Okay? That is not their job. They're there to pay shareholders to have sensation and whatever. Of course, there's elements of truth in it. But um, we also know that they're not, and the journalists are in paid positions and influence enormously by by what they're told to print. I would I would also add too that we cannot rely only on our uh, algorithmic preferen preferential uh, Facebook feeds, you know, that are only showing us what we want to see, or our Instagram feeds, or whatever. You know, we have to yeah. we have to really go out of our way, I think, to expose ourselves yes. to people who may think differently than us, and to like yeah. listen to. I think ideally, you know, listen, I mean, I don't know about you. I, I, I really enjoy, you know, listening to some of the, I don't know, just finding really intelligent people in any field, uh, you know, that's, that's interesting and, and just getting, getting a taste of, you know, what are the people who really know the topic saying about that topic rather than listening to people who don't know about the topic saying something like one example would be Chris Kresser who went on the Joe Rogan podcast. I don't know if you saw that interview, yeah. but you know, he goes on and he tries to talk about debunking this film and, he gets absolutely schooled when when um, James Wilkes comes on to defend it because yeah. he was talking about a field that he has no idea. You know, he doesn't he doesn't know how to talk. He, he's not an expert. You know, so I think that's right. one one place to start with. You know, having these sort of nuanced conversations. Exactly. It's like, who are we listening to? Who is who who is giving this? You know, opinion on a very complex you know topic, whether it's you know a vi vi virus or a you know, whether it's an environmental thing or whatever it is that we're talking about, yeah. right? So yeah. and have a look at Dr. Shiva. Dr. Okay. Shiva is, I think he's running for Senate actually in the US. Um, I'm calling him obviously from Australia at the moment. Um, have a look at some of his work on incredibly highly credentialed individual who who just gives us all the science about this stuff. You know, go and look at Michael Greger's work on, you know, how to avoid, how to how not to die from a pandemic or something. And there's actually a summit coming up. Um, oh, tomorrow, I think it starts with Michael Clapper and, and a number of them looking at um, health and things during these times. But there's something I just wanna just say about, we've used the word conspiracy theory. And this is where we really need to do our homework. And most of us don't have time to do this. You know, we're not historians, but we've got to not rely on those algorithmic, you know, things that just come up in our feed. The word conspiracy theory or the term was created by the CIA after the assassination of um, Kennedy. And it was used to debunk and discredit anybody who questioned the mainstream narrative. That's where the term conspiracy theory comes from. So as soon as we hear conspiracy theory, we raise our eyebrows and we go, oh, um, little green men. Now we've got to realize that Hollywood is, um, I think owned by about 80% of the Pentagon from the Pentagon. So do we honestly think that that's going to be a neutral thing that comes out and we just want to entertain people with movies? I think the recent documentary that's come out, which is called Out of Shadows, highlights how Hollywood is linked with celebrities and is actually influencing, you know, what we consume in some of the darker side, actually. I, I do recommend people watch this. So in that terms sounds super, of that, what, what, what was that again? Sorry, the, can I get, was that a... Yes, of course, Out of Shadows. It's out called. of Shadows. And um, it's a little confronting because it's really talking about some of the dark side of what is going on behind the scenes um, in terms of abuse issues. But it's actually people need to see it. Within about six days, I think it had seven million views. 
and it's tried to be brought down by different platforms, but it is readily available. Mm. Um, but these are confronting things for us. Again, we go, what's the truth? Um, how do we work through this? Is We do have to keep an open mind. And that means if someone says, you know, if you say to me, look, Claire, all these people are dying of coronavirus. If I immediately say, oh, don't be silly, Jason. No, they're not. I've cut off an avenue that actually maybe Jason knows something that Claire doesn't. So as I say, as we're doing outreach, if somebody asks us something, we don't just barrage them with information. We use the Socratic method. We ask questions. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, if, you, if somebody says something, look, um, what about this? Say, okay, well, it feels a bit out there for me, Claire. Um, but tell me more. You perhaps know something I don't. And then I've looked at this. What do you think of this? Increase the dialogue. Because once we polarize, there are powers that be will not just take opportunity as if it's by chance. They are actively planning to reduce, I believe, our, our you know, um, civil liberties. Now, that's not conspiracy. That's fact. Go and have a look at it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, little things like um, Zuckerberg has just come out today and, and said that anyone who... Um, I was trying to think of the context of that. It was He wants to stop anyone... Um, you know, challenging the, the narrative basically. And we'll, oh, it was actually about protests against um, lockdowns in the US. Any organizers of, to say, look, we're not going to do that. I think it's in Michigan, they're coming out or Massachusetts or something. And he's stopping them because that's against the public good. Who gets to decide what is the public good? Right. No, in Nazi Bingo. Germany, you know, lockdowns were happening. People were actually, there was a resistance there that said, well, maybe we need to question the narrative. Yeah, so the worst thing is that's happening at the moment is um, neighbours are dobbing in their neighbours. They're ringing, going onto some government site in Australia, for instance, and saying, well, their neighbours are spending too much time in the garden. This happened in Nazi Germany. This You've got, you got the prisoners, actually, or the people going along with just one way of thinking to actually, um, you know, get other people to attack other people. Now... Obviously, if you know, it's okay to go to the supermarket. So we need to wake up. We need to ask questions. We need to realize that um, we don't never have the whole truth. Is but at the moment, I think for vegans and activists, is well, what's happening to the animals? You know, and we have a group you know, because they're suffering. They're incarceration. In, I watched a wonderful. Um, I listen. I'm just about to mail it out actually to people. Vegan Nation radio program coming out of Massachusetts, I would highly recommend. Okay, Vegan Nation with Marlene Narrow. And she just interviewed Dr. Will Tuttle on there. And he does this beautiful way of bringing together um, all the different strands. And he basically said is that the animals we're advocating for, we are getting a tiny glimpse of what it's like for our rights to be stripped, our voices. And now we're even talking about ID chips. Isn't that like ear tags? Numbers? You know, it's nothing in terms of their suffering, but we are reaping to some extent what we've been sowing. And he's encouraging us on. I really suggest people listen to that um, latest interview on there, is to actually realize that everything, we're we're a systemic uh, arrangement here, that everything that happens within us, between us, behind closed doors, it all come, you know, it's a projection of what we call our shadow in many ways is. And so if we just keep throwing solutions without actually looking at how we all live together, where do we oppress others? We may not be doing everything to not oppress animals, but are we attacking other vegans? 
Are we shouting people down and criticizing them? Are we attacking non-vegans and saying, I hate humans? It's not a very vegan thing to do. We were once in the dark too. We need to clean our own house up first, allow this, um, and they're powerful. I've got lots of free sort of things on my uh, website to get people to process this emotion and um, discard. We need to lean, learn to live with uncertainty and the existential reality that we're not gods, goddesses in terms of living forever. Mm. Um, and then we need to take massive action and be advocating for animals right now and getting people to make the connections between how we treat and the vast number of sentient beings on this earth with really what is starting to manifest in our society. Yeah, I, I think that what, what you said there about us, you know, sort of reaping what, we, what we've sown, I mean, I think that's why, that's why when, when, it, when we talk about getting people to wake up and to see what's happening to animals and to, you know, look at the footage and to think about things like, like when, what you were saying, asking questions and getting, getting people to the point where they're open to exploring that which they do not know and, and letting their guard down regarding the things that they don't know for the purpose of being realistic about where our values are at. I mean, we're, we're basically denying, right. As, as a, as a species, as a society, whatever you want to say, we're, we're sort of denying this massive part of, of our existence, like what we're doing. Like it is physically in terms of the amount of space that animal agriculture takes up on the planet. It's massive, yeah. you know, in terms of the economic weight of it all is massive. You know, it's a huge part of what we're doing as human beings. And, and we, we like to think that we have this thing called humanity but is our sort of vision of humanity, what we like to think sort of the best of humankind, what is our best behavior look like? What is the best version of ourselves? This idea we have versus the reality of the actions we're taking to yeah. these animals. It's people aren't, people aren't looking at this very dark side of yeah. what we're doing. And all we're doing as vegans really is saying, hey, can we look at this and can we actually honestly think about this? Because I was talking to this, talking about this to someone earlier today, you know, a lot of these excuses or these reasons that people have, they don't even believe, they don't even really believe them. And that's why that's, I think part of why conversations about veganism are so painful for non-vegans. You can just tell how uncomfortable they are because they they're bringing up these excuses that they've probably been fed by their parents or their teachers or whoever. And, and, not to put blame this is how this is a perpetual cycle right and 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 when 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 they sort of come up with these arguments like i think they they sort of know on some level that they're not very a lot of these arguments or these reasons for not being vegan they're not very good reasons they're not very logical and so i think that creates a lot of frustration when they're having these conversations and they take it out of the vegan so this is this is something that I wanted to ask you about this current time right now. We have a lot of people who are home because, you know, no matter what you believe in a lot of places, people are being forced to stay inside. And uh, that's the, re that's the matter of fact reality is, um, you know, people are in close quarters oftentimes with family members who maybe aren't vegan. And I think that probably what's happening right now is, is there are some people who are maybe in some uncomfortable situations with family members and I, I just I would love to hear you speak a little bit to coping with 
family situations, coping with situations, maybe people in close quarters with non-vegans, is this the time to be advocating? Is this the time to not be saying anything? What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> it's, oh my gosh, I, 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 I've been talking to um, clients actually who are in this awful situation of being, um, you know, the strategies people normally have to deal with their relationships often are that people go out to work every day or they go to the gym or they go to the pub or they do something, uh-huh. but they have time away. Yes. You know, in, in every day, you know, two non-vegans living together or a family, there's enormous pressures of people being having to confront and actually learn very different strategies to deal with conflict and set boundaries and things. When we're living with non-vegans, as we know, it's excruciatingly painful to, to watch people um, feed off the flesh and the reproductive secretions of the tortured souls, as I, I say, is... I always say, don't advocate around the dinner table, you know, is when someone's just about to eat something. Um, and if you choose to sit around that table with people eating um, animals, that's not a judgment. People, everyone has to make their own uh, judgment where they stand on this. For some people, um, um, you know, it's an opportunity to advocate and, and shown to be a reasonable person. For other people, myself included, have taken a liberation pledge in that sense. I won't sit around and do that, but we have to decide where we are. But if you're a young person, maybe in your teens or living with non-vegans, you know, it takes a lot of strength. And at a time when we all need social support at a time of uncertainty is, you know, how do you deal with that? It's number one, when people are putting food in their mouth, probably not the best time to talk about animal cruelty issues because people will resist that. And I, and understandably so because we're basically saying what you're doing is it's what i'm telling you about is it is the time to advocate always the time to advocate but you need to speak to people in the language they understand is you know if it's like being on the street or you know in at work or something and someone asks about where do you get your protein can't believe that question keeps getting asked yeah, suddenly everyone becomes a dietitian. Actually, in our current crisis, have you noticed everyone overnight is an immunologist? Oh, yes. Amazing how this acceleration of skill level happens by... Um, <laughs> it <laughs> is. It yeah, is. Absolutely. But if they come and ask us about our protein and we say, well, who cares about your flipping protein? You know, do you know what's happening to animals? They're going to think we're weird. Whereas if you answer that, Always answer with a question, and this will be some, some tools that we can also use when we're sitting around with a family. Is I never, if someone says, Where do you get your protein from? You know, part of me wants to say something sarcastic. Do you know how many times we've been asked this? And yeah. um, we have to judge the situation, okay? Is I, if it was someone I didn't know, I would be saying, Well, um, okay, well, just so I can, there's a lot of ways to answer that, but just so I can know, you know, where, where are you coming from? Are you a nutritionist or are you? Bob, the mechanic around the corner, you know, and you get an idea. Mm. When we ask someone a question, firstly, they feel they're being listened to, even if it's just to say, where are you coming from? Um, they, don't, they can't tell us we're preaching. Or if someone says, well, I'm a, a doctor of nutrition or whatever, you know that your question, answer needs to be a little, bit, a little bit different. Always ask a question. So, you know, if your family is saying, look, how dare you bring up at this time, it's not a time to advocate for animals. Okay, um, it's just the time to advocate for animals. <laughs> it's always the time, but it's actually is instead of going, oh yes, it is. Do you know we don't get coronaviruses from fruit and vegetables? You know, it all comes from zoonic diseases. Is then we're just going to resist us and you say, well, what do you mean by that? 
never ask someone, well, why shouldn't I advocate? Why shouldn't we be talking about this? Ask what, what or how or when. This is really important because when we ask someone why, they will come up with a defensive response to justify what they're doing. Okay, Jason, why didn't you come to my party on Saturday? If you value our relationship, you couldn't be bothered to get out of bed. You're going to give me all sorts of excuses and go, oh, I felt unwell and did whatever. If I say, hey, Jason, I really missed you on Saturday. What happened? You're going to go, oh, Claire, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I was so tired. I had a terrible week. I feel awful about it. And I should have called you because you know I'm not judging you. I just missed you and say, hey, what happened? When, so when our family go, um, now is not the time to do it. Well, what do you mean by that? You know, when, when would be a time? And then are you aware of what's, you know, some of the connections? In other words, these other questions enable us to gather information rather than actually have to justify where we're coming from. Be curious with family members. You know, it's like, don't say, this is what's happening. How can you be so awful? And even if it wasn't happening, we shouldn't be doing it towards animals, which I right we have no right except our speciesism to think we can do it to one animal is is actually saying to people um you know we've all been lied to here you know i was reading the other day i was listening to you know dr will tuttle or something and he said xyz what do you think about that so engage your non-vegan family members in a bit of a dialogue around breaking them out of the trance of generally they're asking questions um or if they say, you know, gosh, why can't you just sit and have a meal with us? For goodness sake, you're always having to go. And what do you think the reason is that I keep wanting to do that, mum? <laughs> not why. What do you think the reason is? Well, I just think you want to tell everyone what to do. Actually, it's, it's not that, mum. It's okay. Can I tell you what the reason is? Now, unless mum is really never wants to listen to her daughter, she's going to go, well, okay, what is that then? Well, mum, when I found out about what happens to animals, and I also realised that the enormous physical suffering and the illnesses that come from that, I had to look further. And I'm a little mystified, Mum, as to why you won't look at that. And, you know, uh, I was listening the other day to Dr. Asher Akhtar on The Vegan Couple. And, you know, she uncovered, um, you know, what was really going on. It says sensor of disease control, for instance. You see what I mean? You start to engage Mum or Dad in a conversation. Because it's all about sowing seed. We want to create doubt in people's minds. You want, but the hardest thing is trying to change your family because of all those social dynamics. They saw you when you fell over the step when right. you were three years old, and now you're suddenly going to tell them they have to change their whole lives. Sometimes people can't take that, unfortunately. And a lot of members of my extended family that are not vegan. Um, there's members of my family that have cut off connection with me. They think I'm preaching to them. And if I ask them, and I ask them, what do you mean by that? Well, we don't like your posts. I said, I don't think I like my posts either. Because actually, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> tell you about what's going on. However, what do you think about the content of what I'm doing? Yeah. So yeah. it's challenging. Usually it's other people that will, outside our family, it's very hard to, to influence our family to change, um, particularly parents and extended family. Um, you know, I'm very lucky that um, my partner, when... I came back from living in New Zealand and we left because what we came across with pig dog hunting and, and horrible hunting culture and the dairy industry. And I'd been vegetarian for 30 years at that time, thinking I was doing the right thing. Um, he said, no, we're going to look further. And he went and looked at all these videos. You can imagine meet your meat and earthlings and things. And then he said, well, sorry, we're going to sit down and watch them. And we did. And we all became vegan on the spot. 
And so I'm one of those lucky people that, and that a lot of people are lucky in that way. But my extended family, you know, they're not quite there yet. And, um, but that's okay. You know, it's so being at home, self-care is absolutely essential. You know, find powerful ways to allow things to move through your body. There's some free programs on vegan typology, some of the resources. Um, and if you want to know why they're not changing, um, have a look at um, veganpsychologist.com forward slash myths, M-Y-T-H-S, M-Y-T-H-S. And there's a four part free video program on trying to look at some of those mental blocks, those social and cultural limitations. And that's probably going to help with um, helping and talking to family as well. Um, that was vegan, veganpsychologist.org forward slash myths. Dot com. Dot com. com. Dot com. Yeah. Vegan psychologist. Forward slash myths. Absolutely. And there's another one. This is veganpsychologist.com forward slash virus, which is um, a video well, informational I saw, I saw, thing. I saw that one. I, that was, yeah. yeah. That How was, to cope when global fear goes viral yes. and people can access that original one. So, um, you know, that'd be hopefully helpful. And I think... be advocating as well, you know, um, online hone your skills get really good practice set up connections because there will be a time when we come out and the animal is going to need us more than ever yeah I, I think that just to go back i mean to, to your example i mean you know you are uh you're very experienced at you know outreaching and advocating and talking about veganism i mean you, you, you know just as good as probably anybody out there i mean a lot of people would love to be able to advocate for the animals as you do and yet still you have you know family members or extended family or whatever who, who's, you know, it's, it's, I guess the point being that people shouldn't put too much pressure on themselves, right? Like it's not always about how well you're advocating. Like we, we can try to ask all the right questions and we can try to get people thinking we can do our best, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, if, if mom or dad just, just aren't ready, like we said, for whatever reason in their own, uh, you know, psychology in their own, where they are in their yeah. life, if for whatever reason they're just not ready to to you know pull back that curtain yeah. and face this reality, then there, there, you, you have to accept you know there's only so much you can you can do to control it, right? Absolutely. And people should, shouldn't feel the blame. Yeah. Um, it's about seeds, isn't it? And um, I say meeting people where they're at. So, say for instance, mum's a, a feminist and she's been advocating for women for a long time, but she she won't become vegan or she's vegetarian and continues to eat, you know, the babies of this awful industry. The um, dairy through dairy and eggs and things is if she just can't see it you won't see you know dairy is scary or whatever by dear colleague of mine is how can we get them to do it flip to the relationship when mum goes oh no i don't want to see that whenever we see people go oh my gosh don't tell me we get infuriated but if they went don't care they're your problem people the ones that go don't show me a good question firstly is to ask them what okay we won't look at it what is it what is it you think you're going to see you don't let them get away with it because it's there in their mind one. when they've cringed they've made an association and so okay well what is it you think i'm going to show you mum? oh i'm going to see this awful thing yeah you're absolutely right and those those little babies that are taken away you know the first time i saw a baby calf and the mother you know, just given birth and she's running out, she's stumbling, mum. It's, you know, you're, you're appealing to mum's feminism as well. And then... Oh, but I don't want to hear it. I don't want to think about it. That's right. So exactly. Is, I appreciate that, mum, nor do I. So agree with mum. No, I can absolutely understand it, mum. Um, and then you flip to the relationship. And if you've got a good relationship with mum and mum considers herself or dad does for whatever other reason, you know, it, maybe not the feminism, 
sorry, the, the motherhood, the, the fatherhood bit right. or whatever, is say, mum, I'm so sad that we're not as close as we were. Now, if mum is concerned about her mothering and wants to be close to her son or daughter or whatever, she would say, oh, don't be silly, of course. Well, I just don't feel you understand me anymore. You just don't listen to me. Of course I listen to you, darling. And then you could say, well, actually, you don't. And you want mum to say, well, why do you say that? And you say, mum, because something so fundamental to my life has changed it beyond thing. You won't even look at it. So it's okay. But honestly, I'm just sad that we're no longer as close as we were. So you've actually started to make mum uncomfortable is because she now got a problem with mothering or her family falling apart and you haven't judged and then she said well i just can't watch it i appreciate that mum but it's okay but we're just not as close mum now has to live with the tension of do i want to be close to my daughter or son and do i then have to watch it that feminist thing i brought wow. up a moment ago is is saying mum is really there for the women you've actually got to get into her and actually say look i'm just struggling a bit here mum because you know you're a feminist and it's absolutely fantastic what you've been doing you know speaking out for females and and not wanting their reproductive system to be exploited and yet i'm just struggling here mum because every day and the milk you put in your coffee and the cheese you put on the platter that is actually exploiting females here how, how does that work mum <laughs> you see what i mean as opposed to you're you're a hypocrite mum mm. or you know let's have a look at the enormous abuse of male animals in the industry horrible semen collecting stations for pigs or things is you know if dad's all about guys rights or you know and quite rightly you're about you know um strong masculine you know um stereo role types you know powerful um good ways to be male in this society is actually say look you're you concerned about what they're doing to these poor animals they're just machines that are just being used. What, in other words, use whatever it takes to get in to talk to people in the language state or the things they're already concerned about. If it's health, if it's environment, um, don't get quick to call them a hypocrite. Answer them, champion what they're doing, and then just expand that window of compassion. Ultimately, they've got to connect with the suffering of the animals or else they'll just, if they do it for their own sakes, you know, suddenly everyone's out there doing climate marches because we're afraid we're going to, you know, suffer. How an indictment on our society that we only come to do something when it affects us, you know? So we need people to connect with the suffering of animals, but meet them in the light where they're actually at at the moment. I, I, yeah, I love that. I really like that idea surrounding because it, it almost sound, it almost sounded to me as as though like when you were when you were talking about you know if you're if you're if you're talking with your mom and you want to say you know look I, i'd really like to talk with you about this but i i guess we can't because you know i guess we're just not able to connect on the level like you know maybe we're not so close as as we might think we are like when you were saying that in my mind on on one level it was almost hitting me like wait a minute is that being manipulative but then when i thought more about it no it's not it's 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 being honest it's calling you know, calling yeah. it what it is. Cause yes. I think, I think a lot of, um, a lot of parents maybe, or a lot of, you know, whatever the relationship may be, a lot of people sort of, um, dismiss how important veganism is to people who are vegan, right? Yeah. They sort of dismiss it as like, Oh, you're just doing this because uh, I don't know. I don't really get it. I think they get, they probably don't really get it. They probably don't. Like, and then if you, if you come out and you say like, look, this is really important to me. I would really like to have this conversation with you so that you can understand yeah. me. Yeah. because I want you to understand me, then you're, you're, you're opening that door for them to say, okay, like, yes, I do want to be close and I do want to understand. So, and I will, you know, sort of sacrifice my yeah. discomfort in this 
conversation for the purpose of our relationship. And I don't think that yeah. that's being manipulative at all. I think that's just good communication. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's also about intention, isn't it? Is, you know, if someone's deliberately trying to push someone into changing their mind for their own self-serving purposes, mm. but where they're the voice for animals. And um, I think there's a really big difference to that. That's, that's right. But imagine times in our history and it still happens today say someone a young person goes and they want to tell their family they're gay you know and and in some families still sadly you know they would oh we're not even going to talk about it we're not going to tell the neighbors we're not you know um it's similar thing is in, in in the poor male or female to actually say look i just feel so sad that it's something that's so important to me that you're not able to you know to talk about it. you know we would be horrified the person wouldn't open up and we it often makes huge division in families this is something that's fundamentally the philosophy by which we live our lives. Um, and there's no bad news about veganism. That's the whole thing. You know, I remember when I became vegan, it was like, you know, I actually, became, we became vegan before we knew there was a word um, for it, which is quite interesting. I didn't realize I thought a vegan was a fussy vegetarian. You know, it's um, a fussy vegetarian, a fussy vegetarian, you know, <laughs> it's like, couldn't be further from the truth. It's, um, <laughs> So, but I didn't know. So the key thing is, is the majority of people don't want to hurt animals and they don't realize how, you know, it doesn't matter who does the hit, who's, if someone's paying for it, they are culpable in it once they've actually found out as we know. Um, but it's actually waking people up to that. But there's actually another program, which you probably, I know we've talked about is Vegan Voices, which is 30 days of mini videos on how to talk about veganism. Um, that's actually on the vegan psychologist as well. And people can get the 30 mini videos and yeah yeah that's awesome i'm writing i'm writing all this stuff down i'll put in the sh in the show notes for anybody watching after there'll be a whole bunch of resources that people can go to check out which is amazing claire i could talk to you forever i don't want to take up too much of your time um is there anything i mean i think we've i think we've given people some good uh some good things some good insights some valuable uh tools that they can use in this yeah. interesting time that we're in um yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to add or touch on today? Well, probably not. Just to say thank you for all the work you're doing and, and to everybody listening is thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you're doing for animals and in turn that affects humans and the planet. Is, you know, do not be put off by, um, you know, any resistance you get back to. We've already, you know, you've overcome that. You won't be listening to this sort of podcast if you're not vegan is you know you haven't actually aligned your life with your values you know i say to people most people are vegan except they eat meat you'll go what does that mean is you know it's a <laughs> philosophy of the non-use and exploitation of animals is most people vast majority of people don't want to do that but the reality is unless we make that stand we will be contributing to that so i encourage people to you know make that stand align your values with your actions um because then, you know, everything sort of falls into place. And one of the th things I found when I first say, I didn't realize I was vegan, but became vegan. If it was the worst diet on earth, I would have done it. Is, and then suddenly you have this apparition. It's like, not only the, the, you can live, it's actually when you have a whole food plant-based diet, it's the best diet. There's all the evidence is out there from the China study environmentally it's one of the biggest contributors animal agriculture to you know climate destruction ocean dead zones and so there's no bad news here spiritually conscience wise you know i've never eaten as well have a look at onegreenplanet.org 10,000 recipes all your favorites you know and your health will improve your awareness your mental acuity 
um, and your conscience. And ultimately, you know, we're learning to, to live alongside other sentient creatures on this planet. Um, now is our time in history to make, to influence that trajectory towards something very positive, to really have a wake up call here. If we don't, and we go down another path, we're looking at fascism, totalitarianism, and communism, you know, which is a form of institutionalized um, control, really. It's not, not freedom, it's not um, a good part of socialism. And let's, let's change the history here. We've, you know, people, some people aren't gonna become vegan through consciousness. It's something I actually realized is, some people get it immediately, they make the emotional connection, it doesn't matter what it would do to their health or anything else, they're gonna do it. Other people come through health or environment or something. Um, other people will do this when everyone else does it, okay? They recycle not because they're environmentalist, it's because that's what we do, okay? So you've got to realize that, choose your battles. You know, we only need a core number of us. It, it, when, when in all tipping points, when it gets to about 16% of the population, there's this massive adoption of over 30% of what we call the early majority, and another 35% or something, the late majority, some people, the last 7% are going to come, they're called the laggards in any social chain, you're only adopting a new product, buying a mobile phone. It's granny who says, well, if I don't get a phone, I won't be able to call my nephew. Um, right. You see? So is keep advocating for animals, get online, share things, hone your skills, so that soon we can be back advocating for them, very important. And be Every time you comes out of your mouth on social media, are you doing it with love or are you doing it with fear? You're going to attack people or you're going to get curious and ask a question or say, hey, I, I kind of don't go along quite with that. Tell me more. Then we're dealing with people with compassion, with the, the, the same treatment we want to be treated with. You are such such a wealth of, uh, of of wisdom, Claire. You really are a gift to the whole vegan movement, the animal rights movement. You're doing a great service, and I I just I can't get enough of the things that you have to say. Like, how, where where do you get all where do you get it all from? You just, I don't I don't know where it all comes from, but it's all <laughs> it's all great stuff. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Well, so you know, a few you. great accomplishments are achieved single-handedly. I have to thank every person I've ever come into contact with, really. And, you know, I have teachers and mentors and, and I'm constantly learning and asking questions. And, and you know, sometimes it's uh, a young teenager will teach me something. I'll just give you a wonderful example in closing, if that's okay. Sure. Is people come to veganism in many ways. We always assume that we've got to tell them the information, they see it. And then we'll get them down the line. They'll come across. Some people come for all sorts of reasons. Um, is I remember somebody telling me in the middle of the Midwest in America, in a, um, a, a community where they had their own slaughterhouses in the village, you know, dreadful place. And this young 15-year-old was watching The Simpsons. And they saw, and I can't think of the characters at the moment, but they're watching the symptoms. And someone walks in with a dead reindeer on their back in the cartoon and puts it on the table. And the mother says, how dare you? Don't you know my daughter's a vegetarian? And this young teenager's watching this in the deep Midwest of the States. And that teenager stopped watching it on her own, thought, went out to the garden, said she looked at the sky, was out there for about an hour and thought, I wouldn't need a reindeer. So why would I eat other animals? And in that moment, she became a vegan. Nobody had ever talked to her about it. Wow. Okay, that's what we call the collective unconscious. The more we put the seeds out to the universe, so to speak, when it starts to reach a tip, it will filter through in other ways. I've known people that 
fight veganism. And then one day the cat, the, 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 the cat that they live with looks them in the eye and will not stop looking at them. And the person said, oh my gosh, there's a real person in there. And what if there's a real person inside every one of them? And they became vegan. So never assume that we know how it's going to happen or that that little trickle in the lake is going to affect everything else. Just keep advocating without rage, without aggression. We all do it. We all, we get angry at times. Of course we do. We get sarcastic because it hurts, you know, and we're human and um, that's going to happen. But keep putting it out there knowing that where you give out is not necessarily where it's going to come back. And someone else is going to reap the benefits of someone becoming vegan. They think, gosh, that was easy. You don't realize they had a lot of renditions before then. If you had to get that information. I love it. That's a wonderful positive note to end it on, Claire. Thank you so much for your Thank time you. today. And I hope to have you back on again at some point. Come back and let's, let's follow up and, and uh, see, how this all, see how this all pans out. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you. Catch you next time on the Vegan Champion Podcast. Do not forget to check out the show notes for this one. You're going to want to definitely check out her website, veganpsychologist.com. And we've got a few other links to resources on her website there, as well as her book. You can go to lifemyths.com to check out her latest book, which is Myths of Choice, Why People Won't Change and What You Can Do About It. She is awesome, right? Wicked, wicked conversation. Very, very useful stuff. I think so. But if you guys don't think so, then let me know. Let me know what I did wrong. Because if it wasn't valuable, then I obviously did something wrong. Because Claire has tons of awesome information. So um, maybe if I missed a question that you guys think I should have asked her, then definitely reach out to me wherever you like to find me on social media, whether you're an Instagram person, find me at Jason Fonger or at the Vegan Champion Podcast. Search for the Vegan Champion Podcast on Facebook, whatever podcast platform you like to listen on. If you'd leave a review, love to hear your feedback about the episode, about the show in general. And uh, we're going to keep steaming forward here with the Vegan Champion Podcast. Look forward to catching you guys in the next episode. Until then, be well, and um, we'll see you next time. Peace out until next time on the Vegan Champion Podcast.